Welcome in. Aaron Heisen and Will Cozine here with another episode of the Semi-Pro Fantasy Show. And today's topic is similar to last week's show. We are bringing you the NFC Breakdown. And Will, before we get into this show, I just want to say one thing. This is a little tip I learned from my great friend and Semi-Pro Media founder, Scott Wardwell. Shout out, Scott. Will, you know... I think even if our listeners had no prior fantasy football knowledge, they could still excel by just listening to our advice. <laughs> like, we are fucking dope. Anyways, I love working with you, Will, but let's get into it. So, we don't have much news to cover. I mean, most of it's just about COVID in the NFLPA talking to the NFL owners, and I don't really want to talk about COVID anymore. So, let's get into our mini game. So, we um, got some questions from the community the fantasy football community. And our first question comes from Chris Thomas. So here's the question. Who's going to be the most slept on player in this season? Or in other words, the biggest sleeper will, you know, I'm going to go with Tyler Lockett of the Seahawks. I think everyone is super excited about DK Metcalf and rightfully so because he had an awesome rookie season. He's a big time receiver. It's like six, three, six, four jump balls, gets touchdowns, but in a shortened off season where quarterbacks are going to be relying on those trusty connections, the Wilson Lockett connection seems to be reliable year in, year out. And despite the fact that Lockett is a smaller guy, he just scores a ton of touchdowns every single season. He just has a nose for the end zone. He improvises down the field. And there's a lot of uncertainty this year, and Lockett's one of the safer players you can get in drafts, and that's really valuable. Yeah, and I think your promotion of Lockett is not really a demotion of Metcalf. Like, I think Wilson can sustain two very good receivers in right. that he's, offense. He's a top three quarterback in the NFL for sure. Yeah. Okay, so my sleeper this season is Darius Slayton. Um, Slayton was amazing in his short slate of games last year for the Giants. I think he had eight touchdowns and, like, nine starts. And it was on, like, 48 catches. Well, I don't think that, like, that efficiency repeats. Slayton is the one in this offense, and him and Daniel Jones seem to have a connection. He's a very talented guy. I think Slayton could have a lot of production, and he's going pretty late in drafts. Yeah, he's exciting. Touchdown monster for sure. And... When you have these young quarterbacks that are trying to figure out who they like to throw to, those connections that they develop early on tend to be who they stick with long-term. And so if he has that connection with Slayton, that's going to be super valuable for fantasy. Yeah. Okay, so the next question is from Ethan Hartley, and the question is, which players do you see as overrated by their ADP? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Stephon Diggs, which is a shame because he's an awesome player, but he's going to a new team, which in general is bad for receivers in their first year as they get acclimated, especially the shortened, shortened off season. And then he's going from Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen, which I, Josh Allen's a good player, but it's a downgrade in terms of a passing talent. And it's going to be a slower paced team. And then you have to look, if you look at last year, Josh Allen managed to sustain John Brown as an RB or wide receiver two. John Brown's still there, and so the upside for Diggs in a run-heavy offense that just isn't, in my opinion, that good because they have a strong defense. It's going to be a kind of a grounded-out kind of game. It's just it's kind of gross to draft a guy like that, and while he may exceed his ADP, he's not anyone that I'm excited about. Yeah, and I think like Diggs has a bunch of name recognition just because he's such a good player in real life. And that right. he's moving teams. Like, guys are attracted to people who are moving to a different team. And now he's the one, as he was the two, I guess you could argue, in Minnesota with Adam Thielen. So people could be drawn to that big name. And I think he could be a little overrated because of that name. Yeah. 
Okay, so my overrated player by their ADP is uh, running back for the Chargers, Austin Eckler. I think Eckler was like the fifth or sixth running back in PPR last year. Very high. And that was on the back of getting 110 targets from Phillip Rivers. I just don't think that repeats. You have Tyrod Taylor and possibly rookie Justin Herbert coming in and playing this season. And I don't see them uh, checking down to the running back as much as a guy like Phillip Rivers did. Eckler is a decent running back like through the tackles, but we saw that like when Melvin Gordon was out, he wasn't as efficient as he had been in the past. And I expect the Chargers to go somewhat running back by committee. So I don't know if you should draft Austin Eckler as high as the second round that he's going in right now. Yeah, I almost see the Chargers in a similar light to the Bills in the sense that they both have very, very, very strong defenses. But the offenses are going to be lower volume and should not put up these big gaudy numbers that you kind of want. Like, you want to target these players that are on super exciting offenses. Like, you want to target anyone on the Chiefs. And the Chargers just don't have that kind of upside. And so I'm kind of just avoiding the entire team in general, and that includes Eckler. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the bulk of this episode and the NFC breakdown. So we'll start in the NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles won the division last year, the 9-7 and record coming into 2020. What is your outlook on the Eagles? Well, first of all, Carson Wentz is constantly disrespected. He is a top-five quarterback in the NFL, beyond a doubt. He's better than Dak Prescott, contrary to some people's belief. And this offense should be an absolute powerhouse. They have... Like I said, a great quarterback. Miles Sanders is a great running back. And while they don't have that alpha receiver, they kind of have a guy that can do everything. They have some. They have someone for every single role. They have speedsters and Deshaun Jackson and Marquise Goodwin. They have possession guys and Alshon Jeffrey and Arcega Whiteside. And rookie Jalen Rager could be the X factor because he has a ton of short-range burst. And so while I don't necessarily trust any of those guys for fantasy, I think it, none of those guys hurt Wentz's outlook. Wentz is going to be an absolute star. Yeah, I think like the only uh, parts apart from Wentz that you can trust are Sanders and Ertz. I wouldn't like necessarily uh, advise drafting Zach Ertz because we don't advise drafting mid-round tight ends, but he will have a lot of uh, good games. He will have games where he's targeted over 10 times and Sanders out of the backfield, if he is the workhorse, could get up to 20 touches on a day, on a weekly basis. Yeah, Wentz loves tight ends and so... The opportunity cost of drafting Zach Ertz is the main reason not to draft him, not anything against him. But that's actually why I like or kind of consider drafting Dallas Goddard because Goddard has some standalone value. But if Ertz were to get hurt, he becomes an incredibly high value player because we see how much Wentz likes his tight ends. And Goddard probably doesn't become like a Kittle or Kelsey, but he has that kind of upside. And you're getting him way later in drafts than you would be getting Ertz. Yeah, and I think we've seen the Eagles kind of transfer to using Goddard more in the red zone, more than Ertz. Um, yeah. So Goddard could have touchdown upside every week. For sure. Okay, let's move on to the Cowboys. The Cowboys were kind of disappointing last year as they ended 8-8, eight and eight, but were a pretty talented team. I think that they've gotten worse across the board. I think you could definitely argue that on defense they got a lot worse. Um, they lost Byron Jones to the Dolphins and uh, they didn't really add many pieces, and then they ended up drafting uh, CeeDee Lamb in the first round. I think that the wide receiving core as a whole is very talented, which will make Dak Prescott a good option. Again, I don't know if I would advise taking Dak as high as like the fifth or sixth round, but he is a very good fantasy quarterback. He could throw um, for almost 5,000 yards, and he has rushing floor as well. 
Yeah, I think Dak is going to be one of those guys where he has a ton of spiked weeks, and he's someone that I'm going to love using in daily fantasy. But for season long, he's not consistent enough on a weekly basis for me to trust him and, and spend that early draft capital. Because when you're spending that that kind of like fifth round, sixth round pick on a quarterback, they need to be startable in any matchup. And we've seen in recent years that Dak has really struggled against the league's better defenses. And so I'm much more inclined to take a quarterback like Deshaun Watson or Kyler Murray that's kind of matchup proof versus a guy like Dak Prescott. Yeah, I definitely think Dak is not matchup proof like you just mentioned. And then you move down the line at some of these other weapons. Like, obviously, we all love Ezekiel Elliott. We don't really have to talk about him for a, a long time because if you're in the first round and you're not one of the top two picks, you'll be fine taking Ezekiel Elliott. He yeah. can get you a touchdown any week, and he could rush for for almost 1,400 yards this year. Like, that's in the cards for sure. And then one guy that I want to talk about a little bit in the receiving core is Michael Gallup. I mean, I was very high on Gallup, um, uh, I guess you could say, in, before the draft. And then when CeeDee Lamb was drafted, I was a little annoyed because Gallup's um, production probably would drop with Lamb here. But I still think that there's a lot of value that Gallup has. Yeah, I think the CeeDee Lamb doesn't actually affect Gallup as much as people might think. Randall Cobb had a ton of targets last year, and for a rookie to get even Randall Cobb's target share would be pretty impressive. So Gallup and Cooper's role should be kind of secure. And we saw that on a per-game basis, Gallup actually got targeted more than Amari Cooper last year, which is kind of insane. And he's an incredibly talented player. He's been working on his, his stems at the top of his routes. Just upon watching film, I'm seeing how much better he's getting. And if he continues that trajectory, he could end up being the number one guy on this team which is kind of shocking because Amari Cooper is that good. Yeah, and we talked about, I mean, you talked about Dak and Daily Fantasy. I know Gallup gave me some huge weeks in Daily Fantasy, um, and you don't have to pay up for him and redraft. Like, in many leagues, he's going as as far back as the seventh round. Like, there's great value for Michael Gallup. I think he could have a huge year, even with all those targets and all those mouths to feed, so I wouldn't sleep on Michael Gallup for sure. And then injury to Amari Cooper means Gallup could be a wide receiver one. Like, he has yeah. that kind of upside. yeah. Okay, let's move on to the New York Giants. Uh, I've talked about Daniel Jones before, like, on the sophomore show. I wouldn't um, advise drafting Daniel Jones just because they start off really tough schedule against the Steelers. But I think that towards the middle of the season, Daniel Jones could have a lot of value as a waiver quarterback. Yeah, he's an exciting player, and he has a solid rushing floor, too, which is what you want to see in a quarterback. Um and last year, the Giants got into more shootouts than I thought they would. And if that continues, then that's a quarterback that you want to target. I agree the early season schedule is really, really brutal. And so you don't want to end up drafting him. But he's going to be a, a stream target throughout the year for sure. Yeah, no, the early season schedule is very difficult. But like in the middle of the season, after you get past the first four games, he has home against Washington in Philadelphia, home against the Buccaneers, against Washington again, he gets Philly again, against the Bengals. It just gets a, a lot easier in the middle of the season. So that could really open things up for Jones. And we, I, also guys like Slayton, like I mentioned Slayton earlier, I think he's the one here for sure. I think there's an argument that it could be a wide receiver by committee. Like We were talking about the Raiders last episode, how they kind of had a wide receiver by committee. There's not really roles as to who's the one and stuff. But I think Slayton is the alpha dog here. I think Golden Tate could also have some value, but that's how I look at the receiving court in New York. Yeah, there's Sterling Shepard too. He might have a role. And then there's always the Evan Ingram factor where 
if he stays healthy, he'll be good, but he never seems to stay healthy. So I'm just never going to bank on that happening. And if that doesn't happen, Slayton's going to have a lot of value. Yeah, I, I wouldn't bang on Evan Ingram either. And we all know how good Saquon is. We don't have to touch on Saquon. So let's just move on to the Redskins. Um, I think everything going the right way in Wa- in Washington. Sorry, I shouldn't be calling them the Redskins anymore. Everything yeah. going the right way in Washington rides on the shoulders of quarterback Dwayne Haskins. If he makes a major improvement, then you can trust Terry McLaurin week in, week out. You can trust other guys. And this offense will be a whole lot better if Haskins takes another step. Yeah, one thing that's exciting is that the past defenses in their division are not great. The Redskins do not have very good corners. They think they traded away Quentin Dunbar, so it should be even worse than last year. The Cowboys lost Byron Jones. And the Eagles, they they signed Darius Slay, but the rest of the secondary is a lot of patchwork. So the opportunity is there if he takes that leap. The question is, can he take that leap? Because he has a talented guy in McLaurin. Steven Sims emerged last year. And I'd like to see them add another target to help Haskins, but it's uh, it's scary trusting the Redskins because McLaurin's one of my favorite guys in the league, but the offense could be really bad, and that's kind of scary to think about. Yeah, and then you move on to the running back position. I mean, it's very messy here. I don't really know who has a starting job. You can I, I'm probably not going to name all the guys who are there. You have Darius Geis, who can't seem to stay healthy. Adrian Peterson is somehow still in the league. Um, I think they signed Peyton Barber, and they drafted Antonio Gibson. So it's very it's very murky. I don't know who if you can trust anybody. I know that like and it's a, okay. Here's my thing though. It's a new regime. The new regime just drafted Antonio Gibson, right. and I know he's not like your typical uh, two down running back who's going to run between the tackles, but he is pretty talented. Um, he can catch the ball pretty well. And with Ron Rivera as um, the head coach, and I think Scott Turner is the offensive coordinator. Now, they love to employ the workhorse back method, and they like Antonio Gibson. So if you want to take a late-round flyer on Antonio Gibson, I would be fine with that. Yeah, I think Geis is probably going to get the first crack at it, assuming he's healthy. That's a, a big assumption. But I agree that they're probably going to find a workhorse back, and whoever that ends up being is going to be a super high waiver priority in the early weeks. Because I think we're yeah. going to find out. We're going to find out sooner rather than later. And... I guess you can draft a bunch of them or just draft whoever you think has the best shot. I have no idea, personally. And I'm, I'm kind of just avoiding the backfield as of now until I learn more. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that Barber and Peterson don't really sport as workhorse guys. So you're kind of choosing between Geis and um, uh, Gibson. And I think they also have McKissick there, too. I just remembered that as well. So it's very murky. You have guys who can do a yeah. lot of different things. It's hard to trust one person, but yeah, as you were saying, the person who makes it out of there is gonna have a good is gonna have a good outlook on the season. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next team, NFC South. You have the first place New Orleans Saints. They had a pretty good season last year. It ended in disappointment as they were knocked out of the first round in the playoffs, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um but there are a lot of good pieces for fantasy in New Orleans. You have Breeze. I like Breeze as a sleeper quarterback because he's gonna throw a lot of touchdowns. As you see, and if he can stay healthy, I mean, you don't even need him to stay healthy for 16 games. It's not like a guy you're going to be relying on to play every week. You can pick him up and plug and play when you want. Right. Yeah, the Saints are actually one of the easier teams for me to analyze just because Thomas is a top-tier option. Alvin Kamara is a top-tier option. Jared Cook is a decent tight end player to target. 
and then maybe Emmanuel Sanders has a role, but I think those are the guys you want to target, and there isn't that much room for any emerging players, I think. You don't have to target any sleepers on this team. Yeah, I mean, I think you Yeah, I think you covered it. I think Emmanuel Sanders could have some value. I, I don't know when you could trust him. I wouldn't trust him off the bat. We have to see how he's using the offense first before you can take a waiver flyer on him. But yeah, it's pretty easy to cover the New Orleans Saints and their outlook. Let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Falcons have a lot of change going on in their offense. Uh, tight end Austin Hooper went out the door to Cleveland, and they brought in running back Todd Gurley and tight end Hayden Hurst from Baltimore. So there are a lot of new faces in Atlanta, but it could be a decent offense. I know I, I like Matt Ryan as a sleeper as well. If he's going in the ninth round range, I'm fine taking a flyer on him as well. He's paired back with his old offense coordinator from when they made the Super Bowl game, Dirt Cutter, who loves to air the ball out. We saw him air it out with Jameis Winston when he was with Tampa Bay. So there could be a lot of throwing upside here in Atlanta. Yeah, this is a team where the the target share should be pretty consolidated between Ridley, Jones, and I guess Gurley out of the backfield. And especially in a pass-happy offense, when you have two main receivers – that's incredibly valuable. If you look at Cleveland, like the target share is consolidated between Odo Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, but they're a run-heavy team. The Falcons have that same situation, but there's going to be even more volume, and that's super exciting for both Ridley and Jones. I think both are going to be top-tier options for fantasy this year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they both end in the top 10 of receivers. Like Ridley has not has been hurt in the past. But like on a 16-game pace, I could see Calvin Ridley ending as high as a top 10 receiver. He has great touchdown upside and could go for over 1,100 yards um, on a yearly basis. For sure. And then another guy I want to touch on here is Gurley. Um, I mean, some people are saying that Gurley is past his prime, but I still think he has a lot of value. If he's able to stay healthy, I mean, all the questions are there with his health, but if he's able to stay healthy, he's going to have the lion's share of the volume in this Falcons backfield. That's And it's pretty valuable to have that volume. We've seen in years past with Devontae Freeman um, having some good seasons. I think Gurley could be good. Yeah, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but everyone's acting like Todd Gurley is dead. Like, he has played 16 games, 16 games, like 13, 14. He's always playing almost all the games. So he isn't missing time with injuries. And while his knee injury, his arthritis, is limiting, it's not going to like break his knee. He's still going to be on the field. And he's shown that when he's on the field, he's a touchdown monster. He's still relatively efficient. And he can catch passes out of the backfield. I think we saw what Devontae Freeman did there last year. I think we can both agree that Gurley's an upgrade over Devontae Freeman. And he has stayed healthy in the past, and I think he. there's no reason to expect that he won't do that again. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the Buccaneers. Uh, you have, a lot again, a lot of change coming into Tampa Bay. I think it's, I think it's good change. I mean, you have Tom Brady yeah. coming in, so it'll be a lot more accurate balls thrown, but it could be a little less volume. But I think with the accuracy, it'll be more pleasing offense to watch if anything. And then you have Rob Gronkowski also coming in to compliment Brady. But let's start in the backfield because there's a lot of question marks in the backfield with um, rookie Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones. For me, I don't have a real preference between the two. I guess if you do have a preference as a, as a viewer, take that guy. Um, I think one of them is probably going to emerge as the workhorse, but I personally have no idea who. 
I think Jones, as the incumbent, probably gets the first crack at it. But we really just don't know. I think Vaughn has more receiving upside. It's just it's kind of a gross situation. But we've seen that Brady generally has solid production from running backs. And I, I just don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really target Jones or Vaughn in my drafts. Like, I tend to go running back heavy in the beginning and then take wide receivers towards uh, the middle rounds. But if you're going to go with, like, we call it, like, the zero RB method, which means you take uh, pass catchers and tight ends uh, higher in the higher rounds, and then you could target guys like Vaughn or Jones who could have upside towards the end of the season if one of them breaks out and gets the lead role in this offense. I mean, it's going to be a potent offense. And if one of them is the workhorse back, then you could have value here. Yeah, I agree. And then getting back to the rest of the offense, I think it's the Brady acquisition is great for the team. They're going to win more games. But I think it's actually a hindrance for fantasy just because the volume is going to be lower in the passing game for sure. You're not going to have those those reckless, stupid throws that Winston throws that Mike Evans somehow catches. Like, like there's going to be more efficiency, but the volume's going to be down. And I'm not sure that Brady is has enough volume to sustain two top 10 wide receivers. And that's where Godwin and Mike Evans are being drafted. And so if you're going to choose between the two, I'm leaning towards Godwin just because Brady loves the slot, and that's where Godwin... Godwin's the best slot receiver in the NFL right now. But I think the Brady acquisition is generally a lot of hype, but I'm not sure it's going to translate to fantasy production. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned those errant throws from Winston, though, and he threw about, what, 30 picks, was it, last year? Yeah. So Brady's not going to throw nearly as many picks and errant passes. So while that like volume could come down, the quality of passes thrown will be better. I mean, you mentioned a guy like Mike Evans, a very talented receiver. He was all the way down at 56.8% recept- receiving percentage last year. So that's bound to come up a little bit. I think that like it'll be easier to watch this team for sure. I mean, you won't be seeing as many four-pick games and having to come back. But having to come back was the whole reason why you liked a guy like Evans or Godwin because you knew that they had to throw the ball to get back in the game. Right. And I think that like Gronk could also have a lot of... Um, I don't know how to say because like Arians does not use tight ends a lot. He likes to use slot guys instead in that mm-hmm. middle of the field role. But Brady and Gonk, Gronk have a connection. I wouldn't target Gronk in drafts. There's just other guys around there that I like more. But you never know. Like he could have a few weeks where he has multiple touchdown games. Yeah, it's weird because Arians doesn't use tight ends very much. Yet he has the best tight end room in the NFL. He has Gronk. He has OJ Howard, and he still has Cameron Bray. I think one of those guys is probably gonna get traded. But I think I view Gronk similarly to I, the way I saw Eric Ebron a couple seasons ago where the yardage is not really going to be there, but there's, there's a chance for him to get like 13 touchdowns. And yeah. especially in a standard format, standard scoring, Gronk could have a lot of value, but I just don't see a ton of volume going his way. Yeah, okay, let's move on to the next team, uh, the last team in the NFC South, the Carolina Panthers, who were the last place team last year. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. I don't really know if I trust Teddy Bridgewater to sustain a very consistent offense, but their defense is terrible, so they could be put in a lot of uh, shootout situations. Obviously, if you have the first pick, you're probably going to take McCaffrey, so we don't really have to touch on him a lot, but how do you view the Panthers? Well, usually when you have a quarterback in a new offense, it's a red flag. 
But we saw that Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, was with the Saints when Bridgewater and Breeze were both there. And we saw what he did with Joe Burrow. So Bridgewater has familiarity in that scheme. So it's going to be less of an adjustment than people seem to think. And Bridgewater showed, at least last year, he went 5-0. and And he sustained Michael Thomas, albeit Michael Thomas is a top three receiver in the NFL. He sustained Michael Thomas as a top-tier target. The running game was still good when he was there. The Panthers' offense is not the Saints, but Bridgewater has shown that he's a, a capable starter. But I agree with you, the upside isn't quite there when you have a guy like Bridgewater. Yeah, the other thing I want to bring up is, like, DJ Moore isn't the biggest guy. I mean, I think he's very talented, like, in the middle of the field with slants. And he's a great route runner, but he's not the biggest guy. And he didn't have many touchdowns last year. I don't think that touchdown upside is there with DJ Moore. I mean, it might have to be because of the shootouts that they're going to be in. But I think there are a bunch of other guys who are going to catch touchdowns. You have Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Sam- Curtis Samuel. I I don't know if DJ Moore is going to catch the touchdowns per se, but in PPR leagues, he could be very valuable with all those receptions he's going to get. Yeah, I'm actually higher on DJ Moore than most people are. And that's because we saw last year he was, I think, a top 15 receiver. I could be wrong. Yeah, he was very high. He was very high. And his quarterback was Kyle Allen, who is now a third string on the Redskins, I think. So Bridgewater, say what you want, is a massive upgrade over Kyle Allen. And so if DJ Moore could do that with Kyle Allen, I think he can be maybe like a 120-catch guy with Teddy Bridgewater, which is insane to think about. But he is a reception monster. He is a yards-after-the-catch monster. The touchdowns are a bit scary but you also have to consider he might get a few rushing touchdowns too he got several carries last year and similar to robert woods that even adds to his value further i mean if he's gonna get 120 catches i don't really see that happening but if he does you have to take your shot on him for sure yeah i don't think he gets that but i think it's a really high catch total is in his range of outcomes i think it's more plausible than many seem to think Mm -hmm. okay let's move on to the nfc north with the green bay packers uh, this was a team that went 13-3 and last year, but it was a kind of gross 13-3, and and then we saw them get blown out by the Niners in the playoffs, which showed why they weren't actually a 13-3 and team. Uh, their point differential wasn't very high, as most 13-3 and teams are, and I think there is regression coming for some of these players like in the touchdown area. I mean, you had Aaron Jones getting 19 total touchdowns this year. I don't think that repeats. So how do you view the Packers' offense? We saw last year they got blown out by the Niners in the regular season and the playoffs. They got blown out by the Chargers, and they lost to the Eagles, I think, by seven. Those were their three losses, and they they clearly deserved those three losses. And then every other game they should have lost, they won. And if you look at their point differential, which I think was plus 64, that is actually emblematic of a team that should go 10-6, and which is more consistent with their talent. And you look at, like, did they get better this offseason? I don't think so. So I'm lower on the Packers than almost everyone. And while I think the target share is still consolidated between Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and maybe like Alan Lazard, the touchdowns overall are going to come down. And you have to imagine they're just going to be more touchdowns going elsewhere. So I, I just, I think the touchdowns are still going to be very high for Jones and Adams, not quite as high. And then overall, the offense is going to is gonna decrease a bit. 
Well, Will, you mentioned Alan Lazard, and I think we are all on the same page with Devontae Adams being the clear wide receiver one here. But there yeah. have been years past where Aaron Rodgers has sustained two very good receivers. Do you think Alan Lazard could have a lot of sleeper value? He's going pretty late being undrafted in most drafts, and he's probably the wide receiver two here. Yeah, well, we saw last year he was a great jump ball guy. He's very big, and he's actually faster than most people give him credit for. And the biggest criticism of the Packers this offseason was that they didn't get a wide receiver. And I think it's it's a fair criticism, but maybe it speaks to how much or how highly they think of Alan Lazard. And if he can be that number two in Green Bay, and if Rodgers likes throwing him the ball, he could have immense value. And if Adams gets injured, I don't know, maybe he ascends to stardom. It's it's possible. He showed last year those flashes of being a great receiver. Yeah, I agree. There could be some value with Alan Lazard for sure. Let's move on to the Vikings. Um, the Vikings were they were a decent team last year. They dethroned the Saints in the playoffs. A lot of it was on the back of their very potent running game that was led by offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski. Um, and he's out the door. He's with the Browns now. But I don't think that that means the running game is going to be much worse. I think you have a very talented guy in Dalvin Cook who, if he signs and doesn't hold out, is an obvious top 10 uh, pick in fantasy drafts. Mm, yeah. uh, and I think that like if right now, if you're to take Dalvin Cook in the first round, you should definitely target a guy like Alexander Madison uh, in the middle rounds because like locking up that backfield, if you have one of their guys, is very valuable. Yeah, well, yeah, we said drafting handcuffs in general is a bit risky, but we've seen that when Dalvin Cook missed time, Alexander Madison was a, one of the top RBs. And so because we've seen that, you can feel comfortable having him on your bench and locking up that backfield. And about the offense in general and Stefanski leaving, Stefanski got his system from Gary Kubiak, who is now the play caller in Minnesota. So the offense should be pretty much the same as last year in terms of the the scheme. And then when we get to the receivers, Adam Thielen, I think he's being underrated in some ways, but also it's just he's he's declined in recent years. D- the Stephon Diggs leaving leaves more targets on the table. The question is, where do those targets go? And you can make the argument Thielen gets more, but you can also make the argument for rookie Justin Jefferson, tight ends Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. But, like, I don't know. It's just going to be really run heavy, and it's hard to project where the targets are going to go. Yeah, I mean, we used to, I think Adam Thielen is a shadow of once he, what he once was. He's still a very talented guy. I don't know how much he stays on the field next season. I mean, he didn't play a full season last year. I don't want to project an injury for a guy like Adam Thielen again, but we could see him going down. If he does go down, you could definitely see a rookie like Justin Jefferson picking up the slack there and having some valuable weeks. Yeah, it's it's kind of iffy on where the target share goes. So I wouldn't necessarily draft Thielen around some of the guys he's going. Like I'd rather have one of the Rams receivers, DJ Moore, who we touched on earlier, a guy like that who I'm more confident in the target share with. Yeah, Thielen was not good last year, to put it frankly, at 30 catches for 418 yards in 10 games. But prior to last year, he's never missed a game. So... It's it's fair to suggest that last year is an aberration, and if last year is an aberration and he returns to that prior form, which is possible, he could be a top ten receiver. But yeah. it's just it's hard to to bank on that happening, especially in a, a low upside offense. Yeah, I think this offense is very run heavy. It's like top five run heavy offenses in the league. 
and I think that you're really looking towards the running game. The other thing I want to touch on is like when you have Cook and Madison, you know that like if Cook is in the lineup, it's Cook's it's it's Cook's backfield. It's not like right. one week is a Cook week, one week is a Madison week. That's why we're saying like trust this um, backfield, trust the handcuff. If Cook is out, you can play Madison, and he's going to be a top twelve guy. Yeah, it's very different than like the Niners backfield where you had Mostert going off for 130 yards, and next week was somehow Tevin Coleman. Yeah. So it's not going to be like that in Minnesota whatsoever. Okay, let's move on to the next team, the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears were very, it seemed very icky in Chicago last season. I don't really know what Matt Nagy was doing. I mean, he was very promising with his first season, but to my eyes, it seemed like he was just getting a little too cute. I mean, he had... Like, the way I want to put it is, like, it was a magician who just had a bunch of tricks, but then the cards fall out of his pocket, and you're like, well, that's how you did that trick, you know? Yeah. Like, it didn't seem like he would just stick to what worked. If something worked, he would just try a new trick, and it would be... And I think that isn't totally his fault. I mean, their offensive line was terrible last season, so it's not... And Trubisky wasn't very good either, so it's not like he had a lot to work with, but it still didn't look great from Matt Nagy's standpoint. It didn't look great for him. I will say in his defense that having Trubisky as your quarterback and all his limitations, it hinders his play calling. He can't call plays that he could call for, I don't know, Alex Smith in Kansas City or maybe even Nick Foles. So if Nick Foles becomes the guy, I think the offense is going to get better. It's my personal opinion. I don't think they stick with Trubisky. And then it's just like last year the offense was so bad I can't imagine that it gets worse, but like, what if it does, you know? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say is we know who the starters are. Like we know where the volume's going. I agree that if Foles becomes a starter, I really hope he does that. We can trust these guys a little bit more. Like we were, we've talked about David Montgomery a lot. And I think if you're taking him as your second or third running back, it's not terrible. Like, he's a very talented player, very talented pass catcher. So if he is going to get 250 carries and 50 targets, then you might have a good player on your hands. And same thing with Allen Robinson. He could get 150 uh, targets in the passing game, and he's a very talented player. So you know who where the ball's going. I don't expect guys like Anthony Miller or Jimmy Graham to really hinder their volume. So yeah. there, will the team may not be good, I think that... It also could be ugly, like you could be getting 25 carries from Montgomery and having 80 yards, but he might fall into the end zone and you'll be happy with your week. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it could be gross, but it also could work out. It, it's hard to project. I think Robinson's exciting because last year, despite the gross offense, he still had like 100 catches for like 1,100 yards, something like that. It was He had a great year and like seven touchdowns. So if he can do better than last year, if the offense is better, that's great for him. And then we saw towards the end of last year that Anthony Miller really started to emerge as that solid number two. And if he can continue that trajectory, I don't know if you ever want to start him in fantasy, but it should improve the overall outlook for the offense. Yeah, I think like you were mentioning, as we kind of see where like the roles play out, you have Montgomery. Um, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but Mike Davis started as the starter last year, which was very gross. We all knew that Montgomery was the better player and they kept handling the ball to Mike Davis. So if you actually have Montgomery as the running back for 16 games, he's a starter. You have Allen Robinson as the outside receiver, the one. Anthony Miller as uh, playing second fiddle as the complimentary piece. It could be a little prettier than we saw last year. Yeah, I agree. And also, Taylor Gabriel is now gone, which opens up some more targets too. 
Okay, let's move on to the Detroit Lions, the last team in the NFC North. I know you like them as a uh, NFL team, like in real life, having a good record uh, this season. Yeah. Can you talk on that point? Yeah, I think last year we saw the potential when Stafford was healthy. They went three and four, three, four and one, which isn't great, but they should have won their tied game against the Cardinals week one. And then they played the Chiefs down to the wire. It was a great game. That game could have gone either way. And, and, and they remember, lost. Uh, what's the running back? What's his name? Carry on Johnson. Yeah. Uh, fumble on the one yard line. Right. And which it was would have like returned for a game. touchdown. Yeah. Like that was like a 14 point swing. So, yeah. and there, but like also there are tons of plays that the Chiefs blew. And like it was just, it, that, that game was chaotic. But the thing is, like, the Lions showed a lot of resilience in that game. And then they lost to the Packers on a last second field goal in Lambeau. So, like, they went 3 4 in Oma Stafford. They probably should have won more of those games. And Stafford was playing like an MVP. So, while it's an eight-game sample, that was really promising. And then if you look at the defense, it was not great last year, but they got better. Their defensive line is still solid. They added Trey Flowers, and they drafted Jeffrey Okuda, who I think is going to be an absolute superstar corner. Even probably year one, he's going to be great. So And they added Desmond Trufant as well. They got Trufant, and they still have Tracy Walker at safety, who I like. So, and so like I just I think the team is being underrated. People think they're as bad as they were when Stafford was hurt last year and they were playing with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll, I think. It was is horrible. So if the if the Lions are as good as I think they are, it's going to mean great things for Stafford and great things for Kenny Galladay for sure. Yeah, and then I wanted to touch on the backfield real quick. Um we've talked about Swift and Carry on a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't really target either of them in the draft because I think it starts out as like a complete running back by committee. But I think Swift wins the job. I think he's a bit more talented than Carrion, who's dealt with injury in the past. They drafted Swift in the second round, very high draft capital. And if you're able to get your hands on Swift towards the end of the season, he could be a league winner for sure. Yeah, I feel bad because I have always been a massive proponent of Carrion Johnson. I drafted him in the third round last year and it didn't work out for me. So like I want to root for the guy, but he can't really stay healthy. He hasn't shown that explosiveness explosiveness that I've wanted him to. Um, he's kind of a worse version of Alvin Kamara, and so if Swift gets that job, he get a lot of touchdowns. But I still think it's gonna be a pass heavy offense with uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones and Amendola, and even I think they got Geronimo Allison too. So, and T.J. Hawkinson. And Hawkinson, right? So. The, the rushing upside I don't think is there for this team, so I really don't want either of the guys. But if one of those guys is going to take that start, like that that lead main role, I think it's going to be Swift. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to the 49ers, uh, the last division, the NFC West. So, I mean, there's a lot of unknown here. I got a notification earlier today that said Debo Samuel might be out until mid-October. So Yikes. that will definitely hurt him. I don't think anybody's drafting him now at this point. Um, I think it hurts the defense. As a, I mean, the offense as a whole. The only real guy that you could trust other than George Kittle was Debo Samuel in the passing game because I don't know if anybody's going to take a Brandon Ayuk in the draft or Dante Pettit, Jalen Hurd. There's just a lot of question marks. We haven't seen any of these guys really prove anything. Obviously, you can take Kittle in the second round. He could be getting 150 targets. But the other thing is they could throw the ball five times a game. I mean, we know how, how much uh, Kyle Shanahan loves throwing the football. Um, there's just a lot of upside in the running game and not much in the passing game. 
Yeah, I Kittle is gonna be a top two tight end until he dies. He's he's an incredible player, and I agree. I don't trust anyone else. I maybe Debo Samuel once he comes back, and then the running game. I don't know what to think because it's always a committee with Kyle Shanahan. He never likes to have just one guy, and also like all the backs they have are versatile. Like Mostert's versatile, Tevin Coleman is versatile. Jarek McKinnon, if he plays, is versatile. So, like, you don't have those defined roles, which means that any running back can receive a big workload on any given day, and it's just going to, you're never going to know who it's going to be. So, I'm just completely avoiding this backfield at all costs. Well, you know what I think we're going to see? I think we're going to start seeing, like, Shanahan use Kittle as his only uh, player not in a three point stance other than running backs. So you're going to have Kittle on the outside. You'll have like Ross Dwelly playing tight end and then like a bunch of running backs and Kyle Juszczyk in the backfield and he'll just run the ball down your throat and win the game 10 to 7 using his amazing defense. So, I mean, it could be gross for fantasy, but they're going to be a great team and Kittle could have some upside. Yeah, the running game, it's weird because you usually want to target really good running games, but when it's just so inconsistent between the players you, you're never going to trust either of the guys and like maybe they have value in daily fantasy if you think you know who it's going to be but otherwise I'm I'm steering clear yeah okay let's move on to the Seattle Seahawks we talked about this earlier um, when we we're talking about Tyler Lockett but Russell Wilson is going to be able to sustain some very good uh, production from these receivers I know you like Lockett a lot we talked about him in the sleeper portion of this episode yeah. Um, I'm really high on a guy like DK Metcalf who has a lot of touchdown upside. He's a big guy, big fast player. He ran a very fast 40 time. Russell Wilson is very, has a knack for finding his receivers in the end zone. Um, Lockett and Metcalf both have touched 10 touchdown season upside. So I think like if you get either one of those guys on your team, you'll be happy. Yeah. We've like, in my opinion, Russell Wilson has been propping up a below average roster for years now. And, their offense has been honestly primitive. Like they just, they never seem to want to truly unleash Russell Wilson. And I think this year might be the year it actually happens. The defense is, in my opinion, not very good. And if, if they don't get like, if they start like losing games or they start trailing in games, Lockett and Metcalf are just going to go off. I think this has potential to be, like the Atlanta Falcons, where we've seen in recent years where Russell Wilson and the Seahawks have been pretty run-heavy despite the fact that they have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But if Wilson starts throwing commensurate to like guys like Matt Ryan, he might be a top-three quarterback, and he might sustain two top-20 receivers. Like yeah, There's and a ton of upside for this offense. You were talking about how uh, with the running game, how good it was. And like a guy like Chris Carson doesn't project to be a very talented player in the pass catching game. Like we saw it last year, he had a lot of upside receiving passes from Russell Wilson just because of how talented Wilson is. And I mean, they just didn't really add anybody to take that role away from Chris Carson. Rashad Penny, their first round guy from a few years ago, never really panned out. He's dealing with injuries. And they added Carlos Hyde, who won't really take away many targets. So I think Chris Carson could be a very trustworthy guy. I mean, he's going to get the lion's share of the um, rushes in this, and it's a decent offense with a good passing in the passing game that could open up holes for Carson to run through, and then he also could be getting sixty targets. Yeah, I like. 
Carlos Hyde has always been one of those frustrating players in the NFL because he's not good anymore, yet somehow he always manages to get carries. We saw last year when Lamar Miller got injured, we're like, okay, this is it. Finally, Duke Johnson gets to be unleashed. We get to see the real Duke Johnson. And then they trade for Carlos Hyde and he gets like 200 carries. So while I don't think that Carlos Hyde gets 200 carries in Seattle, you have to wonder, maybe he does take away some of the work from Chris Carson. I don't want it to happen. I don't think it should happen. Yet somehow, against all odds, it always manages to happen. Yeah, I'd be very disappointed. I think Carson's a very talented player, and he definitely deserves the lion's share of the workload. I hope that the Pete Carroll sees that. I I would be very devastated if they go committee, because if you're taking Carson in the third or fourth round, you're going to get a possible top 12 running back. Agreed. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Rams. Um, This is definitely going to be running back by committee to start the year. You have uh, Daryl Henderson, I think he's a sophomore. We talked about him in prior episodes. Mm-hmm. Decent running back. I don't think he's really going to have a chance to win this job, but he definitely could. Um, Cam Akers is their rookie who they spent their first overall draft pick on in the second round. And I think, well, I wouldn't waste a fifth or sixth round pick on him. Like DeAndre Swift, he could have some value if he breaks out as the best running back in L.A. Yeah, we've seen that the L.A. backfield has had a lot of upside in recent years with Todd Gurley. I don't think either of these players is as good as Todd Gurley. And also, the offensive line is only getting worse because they have a bunch of veterans who in recent years played well. Andrew Whitworth is still a good player despite being on the the older side. But they're getting worse, and I think this team might be on its last legs. But And if they are, and if they don't do as well as people think they will do, they could be incredibly pass-happy. So I'm not really targeting their running backs, but I'm all over Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Yeah, and I think you see, like, now that Cooks is out the door, well, I think Van Jefferson is a good rookie. He's a good player. I don't see him taking many uh, targets away from those two incumbent guys. And, like, I think those are definitely two receivers that I'm targeting in the fourth round. After you go running back heavy, if you even go three running backs and you have Woods or Cup as your wide receiver one, I would be very happy with that coming out of my first four rounds. I'd... Like, I think Woods or Cup, based on where the target share goes, where the touchdowns go, could both be top 10 wide receivers. Yeah, I think it's really funny how the Rams are just, they don't understand their own roster. They view themselves as contenders, and they they drafted accordingly. But, like, they didn't really need to draft a running back. It's a it's kind of a luxury position. And they did not need to draft a receiver. And that was, like, two of their first picks. It's kind of like the Cowboys. Right. So, like, they... I think the Cowboys are closer to contention than the Rams are. But, like, the Rams think they're this powerhouse team. And, in my opinion, they're not. They're they're star-heavy, but not deep at all. And I think there's a very real chance that this whole thing falls apart, which is bad for the team, but could lead to a lot of just, like, 40 pass attempt games for Jared Goff where Cooper Cup and Robert Woods go off. So... Because of that real possibility and that kind of upside, combined with the floor that those guys have, even if the Rams are good, those guys are great targets, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And then you look at a guy like Tyler Higby, who was very good last year towards the end of the season once Gerald Everett got hurt, and they started to utilize the tight end more. I mean, when this offense was clicking, it wasn't very tight and heavy, but towards the end of last year, they were forced into using the tight end. 
And Higby could have some upside. I wouldn't really bank on him on a week-to-week basis, but you never know. Yeah, and towards the end of last year, they actually started using more two tight end sets. And we saw that the offense ran a lot of play actions with those sets. The running game improved, and the target share was even further consolidated in favor of Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And then one last note is that Cooper Cup actually got taken off the field sometimes in the two tight end sets, which was kind of surprising, but also not surprising because he's primarily a slot guy, which actually leads me to put Robert Woods ahead of Cooper Cup just because I think we know that Robert Woods is always going to be on the field no matter what, no matter what set they're in. I think that gives him more safety and a higher floor. But both those guys are, are targets for me. For sure. Let's move on to the last team that we're going to talk about, the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, so I think the Cardinals are going to be one of the best offenses in the whole entire league. I really like Cliff Kingsbury as a shot caller and a head coach. And I think Kyler Murray is a very – I think he's probably the best – quarterback out of that second tier with Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, those guys to target just because of how high that rushing floor is and he has great options on his offense. And then I also really like Kenyon Drake as a running back. He scored eight touchdowns in eight games with the Cardinals last season. He's averaged 4.8 per carry on his career. Uh, Kenyon Drake's a very talented guy and now if he gets the volume in a very potent offense, I think he could be very good. Yeah, I think I honestly expected Kyler Murray to get more rushing last year. What I think the Cardinals were doing was they knew they weren't going to be that good of a team. And so they wanted to primarily develop Murray as a passer because they know how good he is as a rusher. But now that he's had that work as a passer, they might actually unleash him as a rusher this year. So I think his rushing might actually be way higher than people think it's going to be. And that makes him one of the top targets in fantasy for sure. And then getting to Kenyon Drake, he is a great player. He's been hindered always by the offense that he's in. This offense Adam is Gase, the cough, best cough. he's ever been in. Yeah, Adam Gase. <laughs> uh, but this offense is the best he's ever been in. He showed last year that he can be the guy. I'm I'm still worried about him uh, with a full workload. He hasn't shown throughout his career that he can have that massive like 18 carry a game workload. It's possible. Um, and I think also if Kenny Drake goes down, Chase Edmonds has also proven that he can be a solid guy. You're never drafting Chase Edmonds, but if if Drake gets injured, don't hesitate to pick up Edmonds off waivers. Yeah, I agree with that point. And I think that like we were talking about tiers um, with the quarterbacks, Murray. I think Drake is probably my second, my favorite guy in that second tier of running backs. I mean, I, I think our opinions differ on that for sure, but like after Dalvin Cook in that tier, when that ends, I think Drake is the next best guy. Like I would take him ahead of Mixon Jacobs just because he has that passing work. And I think the Cardinals are going to be such a good offense. I think we've seen how rushing quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson have opened up their running backs games even more. So I think Kenyon Drake's going to have a great season. Yeah, I love the opportunity for Drake. It's probably top six or seven opportunities of any running backs in the NFL. The reason I'm still... Uh, I have Mixon, guys like Mixon over him, is just because in those early rounds, I really preach safety. And while I, th- while I personally think Drake's a very good player, he's not as certain of a talent as a guy like Mixon, which is why I feel more comfortable taking Mixon. But I think there's a very, very real chance that Drake finishes above those guys. Yeah. Okay, I just want to touch on Hopkins real quick. I, I He used to be like the number one receiver in fa- it, you would take in fantasy, 
With the Cardinals, I don't think the volume is as high. I still think you can probably take him as a second in the second round and be fine, but I wouldn't expect him to be the number one receiver in fantasy like years past. Yeah, I, I expressed earlier the concern with taking a receiver who is on a new team, but I think there are exceptions to that rule, and Hopkins might be that exception. We saw Randy Moss in his career when he moved between teams. He was always just a great receiver. And I think that regardless of how much rapport he has with Kyler Murray, they're going to make it work. And Hopkins is a guy that, if you draft him, you should feel pretty good about it. Because he stays on the field, he almost never gets hurt, and he's going to be a top 10 receiver guaranteed. Yeah. Okay, well, I just want you to give a quick outlook on how you think the NSC will... uh look at the end of the season like based off where the teams will finish yeah i still like the niners a lot there's concerns with their receiving core for sure but the defense is still strong i think they're probably the favorites in the nfc i i like the eagles ahead of the cowboys because i'm really concerned about the cowboys defense and so i think the eagles have a real chance to be one of those top teams and then the nfc north is very murky i think almost any team that division can can run away with it i'm probably less so the bears but i think the lions are a a kind of a team you can not bet on but like i guess the the odds are lower if if you were betting i would probably bet on the lions because you get better odds and it's kind of a almost a 33 percent lions 33 percent packers 33 percent vikings so i'd probably take the lions if i was betting and then i think the nfc south is going to be interesting the the buccaneers and saints are both solid teams i i lean towards the consistency of the saints and the continuity but both teams have a real chance and then i guess wild cards it could be anyone it could be the seahawks could be the cardinals there's a whole lot of teams are buying for those couple spots the cowboys too yeah okay well thank you all for listening i hope you can tune into future episodes of the semi-pro fantasy show remember we are posting once a week every thursday Also, please feel free to check out other semi-pro podcasts such as Garbage Time and Keep It a Buck and check out our YouTube videos. And also, we're moving all our articles from the Substack to um, semipromedia.com on WordPress. So that it's a lot better. It's way more aesthetically pleasing and easier to navigate. So please check us out there if you have some time. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you.